Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities. Wanted to share a uh, an interview that we're doing today with um, Killian Moot with Humanity United. Um, the subject is about uh, human trafficking, and I've seen a lot of um, posts recently talking about the uh, the issue talked to a lot of people about the issue and wanted to kind of get uh, some feedback from somebody who's actually doing the work in terms of addressing human trafficking and um, just kind of share what um, what his experiences are. So Killian, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, to chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about uh, Humanity United. What What do you do? Great. Yeah, so we're a, a private foundation uh, started by uh, Pam Omidyar and her husband, Pierre. Um, Pierre was the founder of eBay, um, and, and the Omidyar started uh, Humanity United about uh, over 10 years ago um, to really focus on some of the most intractable social problems uh, experienced in the world today, one of which um, was is modern slavery, human trafficking, and, and forced labor. Um so we've we've got a decade of experience as a private foundation uh, attempting to address um, this global phenomenon uh, where we see, unfortunately, in the world today, people bought and sold um, as as um, as products. Hmm. Is this more of a um, like a uh, a problem overseas, or is this a something you see in the United States? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people equate this issue, um, whether it be forced labor uh, or sex trafficking, to uh, an over-there problem. And uh, where, while it is uh, more prevalent in, uh, particularly in, in the developing world, uh, where cost of living is is quite low um, and rates of poverty and illiteracy are quite high, and you see large percentage of population marginalized either socially, politically, or economically. Um, it does continue to happen inside the United States. Um, in, in the U.S., um, you know, we're the most common forms that we see are uh, individual workers um, in agriculture uh, or uh, low-skilled labor uh, who might be uh, migrants uh, or uh, individuals who are um, vulnerable due to their legal status as um, uh, illegal immigrants. Um, they are incredibly susceptible or at risk to the issue of trafficking. Uh, as well as those that uh, migrate here legally uh, through different uh, visa processes but are foreign workers. Um, there's a significant amount of exploitation that we see in that recruitment process. Um, and then on the other hand, the other form that we see uh, here in the U.S. is uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and that frequently is um, vulnerable uh, women or children uh, who find themselves in a situation of sexual exploitation where their bodies are being bought and sold um, for the purpose of exploitation. Um, um, runaway youth and transgender youth um, are at higher risk of rates of trafficking um, in the U.S. domestically. And then in terms of international tracking, in terms of how big of a scope we're talking about it, it's a pretty uh, significantly large global phenomenon uh, where estimates are um, ranges as high as about 25 million, uh, according to the latest ILO, International Labor Organization statistics. Um, and then some, some estimates put it as high as as uh, 40 million in, in not just forms of forced labor, but uh, child marriage and other. So the thing about human trafficking or, or modern day slavery is it's commonly uh, referred in, 
is that it can take on a multitude of different forms. Um, and any business in the world today, whether it operates a hotel in the U.S. or uh, produces electronics in Malaysia, has some exposure to the issue. Uh, and the question is really, um, how do you effectively address it and what steps can you take to mitigate the risk? Yeah, that was really my next question uh, was, how is business involved in the the process of human trafficking? So, So then how do you... How do you look at businesses to try to figure out who are good actors or who are bad actors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll take uh, an example, and we can start from there and then jump off into other uh, examples. But, um, you know, I, I, one that we frequently deal with and, and work with investors um, and with companies on is um, those that are producing or selling uh, products with very complex global supply chains. Um, so if you think about any product you consume on a daily basis, whether that was uh, the fruit that you ate this morning for breakfast uh, or the cell phone that you're using to listen to this podcast on, these products are all produced through a complex and intricate um, supply chain. Um, and so the reality is, is that we're, as consumers, very disconnected from, from the products that we consume, uh, the overwhelming majority of which are produced actually outside of, of uh, the United States. Uh, and so in particular, when you look at um, your cell phone, for example, uh, there's a high probability that inputs, uh, if not final stage manufacturing, happened in a country like Malaysia, where a report in 2014 uh, by a company called Verite found that up to one third of the foreign um, migrant workers in that uh, sector were in some form of debt bondage. Hmm. Um, you know, that's just the final stage manufacturing. Then we're talking about the inputs, which might include uh, tin, tantalum, or tungsten, which is a very important um, mineral that often is extracted um, in countries that um, are, are experiencing severe conflict, where uh, individuals in those countries are actually forced into these mineral mines to extract uh, the essential components that then ultimately end up in our cell so at every stage of production, you, you do see risk. Um, and so what we, we advise uh, companies to do that we're engaging with, um, some of some through actual their investors, is the greater a company has visibility into their supply chain um, and, and the steps that they can proactively take, whether it's, it be through uh, direct worker feedback loops or um, engaging with workers when they're at the recruitment process, the greater they can reduce their potential risk and then the investor's exposure to these issues. Um, but, you know, our common refrain is that um, slavery, forced labor taints every industry. Uh, it doesn't mean that every product we consume uh, was produced by slaves, but it means as a whole, um, sectors that operate in the global economy um, are not immune uh, to this phenomenon of, uh, of forced labor. So... What I would assume that like the improvements in terms of technology would be um, kind of a boom to trying to keep track of the supply chain and, and improve kind of that kind of transparency. Yeah, we're at a really interesting opportunity here um, where, you know, for the past 20 years, as, as this issue really has come to light, um, there's a direct correlation, obviously, between the globalization of supply chains and the opacity that's created in the production process and the efficiencies that are have been generated through kind of a global supply chain management system um, and correlation to risk um, to labor abuses, right? The farther and more complex um, the supply chain, 
the greater the, the risk might be. And, um, you know, the, the response up until I would say about five years ago by corporations has really been through this kind of social auditing model where we'll pay for suppliers to then be audited to make sure that their standards meet our criteria for, um, you know, environmental, social governance issues. Um, what has proven out over the past 20 years is that this tool of social auditing, while it is helpful, um, it is not a panacea. Um, and technology is now interceding and, and providing the opportunity for companies to deploy different technology systems, whether it be uh, blockchain for supply chain tracing, um, which is something that companies are experimenting with, or uh, director, direct worker communication systems using very low-tech, low-cost, uh, direct uh, SMS or worker communication platforms to allow for better on-site uh, communication from workers. Um, so there is an opportunity here to deploy low-cost solutions to uh, effective monitoring to ensure that um, workers are not being exploited throughout that entire value chain. Um, but we are very much uh, at the um, at the beginning uh, stage of, this, of these technology deployments. Hmm. Is there a um, website that kind of tracks like um, so consumers can actually make good decisions? Um, is there a pool of information that can help people kind of manage their decision making when they go shopping? Yeah, so we, um, I oversee an initiative for us at Humane United called Know the Chain. Um, it's knowthechain.org. And what we are doing is we're evaluating companies um, starting with the three largest and highest risk sectors food and beverage, footwear and apparel, and um, ICT or high tech. And we've actually evaluated the 20 largest companies in those three sectors. Um, and provided that information back to uh, back to investors, um, and then and consumers can access this information as well. It's, it's online. Um, you know, our goal this year is to now double that coverage. So we'll expand from uh, 20 companies per sector to 40 companies per sector, uh, and then a formed a partnership with Thomson Reuters uh, Foundation uh, to expand that um, out to the 300 largest companies uh, in the world over the next. Um, few years. Uh, that's what our goal is. We, we hope to achieve it. Um, and our intention is really to provide that data back to investors uh, and to consumers so they can make, um, from a consumer standpoint, more informed purchasing decisions. Uh, and from an investor standpoint, uh, understand what their exposure is and, um, and how to address and engage the companies they hold uh, to address the problems in their supply chain. And again, that, that resource is knowthechain.org. Cool. Very good. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that's come up when I've talked to people about this issue is kind of like a a help a feeling of helplessness. Like, hmm. you know, what could I what can I do to make a change? Because it's it's like I don't really I don't if we don't see the issue, then how do we act to make a difference? So, what would you suggest for people to? to do or to think about in terms of being an active participant in terms of making a change in this issue? Yeah, I mean, for, um, you know, one thing that we advocate, um, in particular in the audience that we work with, um, largely is investors. And, um, you know, you would be surprised uh, the degree to which a publicly traded company um, does respond, particularly to their, to their shareholders. Um, so we've seen a lot of progress um, and engagement points been made uh, with the shareholder advocacy community. Um, you know, regardless of the amount of shares that are that are uh, owned of an individual company, um, 
you know, issuing a letter or um, signing on to existing efforts, that really does get the attention of, um, of the C-suite. Um, and we're in this interesting age now where um, the expectations of companies over the past five years has really changed. We've seen this normative change. Um, and the, the best example of this is with the UK's passage of what's known as the Modern Slavery Act, which requires that every company that does business in the UK um, over, I believe the threshold is uh, 35 million pounds of annual revenue, um, to have a statement publicly on their website about the steps they've taken that year to address uh, the issue of, of slavery. Um, and that is a great uh, intervention point uh, for, for consumers and for investors uh, to, to, to ask the company and hold the company accountable for the steps that they're taking to address it because this is a global phenomenon um, it's going to require global response to uh, adequately address. Um, so I think that is uh, that's a really um, important development and a significant change. I think uh, from what I've seen working on this issue for for about a decade is you know the first few years uh, of the work um, were really about raising awareness about the issue broadly, um, and the awareness is there and it's been there for a number of years. And in the past few years now has been changing this, this normative perspective among the corporates uh, and among investors that this is an issue that they're related to. Um, you know, five years ago, I would say CEOs and, and investors will, were woefully ignorant uh, that the issue of forced labor or slavery was related in any way to their business or related in any way to their earnings. Um, and I, I think that tide has shifted. Uh, and, and investors and companies, uh, executives within those companies understand uh, that this global phenomenon of forced labor is something that impacts their business, and they, as a corporate global citizen, uh, have a responsibility uh, to do what they can to address it. And this is an incredibly complex problem, and uh, no company should be expected to solve it themselves, and no company alone is responsible for the issue. But it really requires a, a, a consistent and cohesive response um, from the private sector and from investors, along with consumers, and in every aspect of society, to essentially say, we we don't stand uh, for the treatment and, and severe exploitation of individuals um, so that we can profit or so that we can uh, sell products. True, agreed. Um, you mentioned the uh, the uh, Modern Slavery Act in uh, in England. California has a similar law to that as well, don't they? Yeah, you know, um, California was really the um, the one that started this trend, and, and a lot can be credited to them. Uh, for beginning this conversation about expectations among companies uh, from a public reporting standpoint. Um, you know, it's a common refrain that uh, that which is not measured is not managed. Um, and in California really started the dialogue on what is appropriate for reporting. Uh, and, you know, reporting is indicative of what's being measured. Um, so, um, you know, California started this trend and, and it really kind of accelerated with, um, with some efforts that happened under the previous administration in the U.S., uh, and then that kind of trend leapfrogged over the Atlantic, uh, and, and the U.K. continued to push it forward. Uh, and now we're seeing company or countries in like Australia uh, consider their own Modern Slavery Act type of reporting regulation. Um, and so it's this, um, it's this meme, if you will, this idea that has kind of adapted over time among different, um, different policymakers, uh, which ultimately kind of has has changed this perspective among corporates that they that they need to say something about this issue. Good. That's awesome. Um, well, I appreciate your taking the time to uh, to talk about this uh, this issue and this topic. Um, 
If people want to uh, connect to you uh, to learn more or learn more about your organization, what should they do? Uh, they can access our information on knowthechain.org. We've got a lot of different resources there for investors who are interested in this topic. Um, you can also reach directly out to me at kmooch, that's K-M-O-O-T as in Tom, E as in elephant, at humanityunited.org. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate your time uh, today and um, look forward to chatting more in the future. Thanks, Killian. Yeah, yeah thanks so much, Jim. Awesome. Take care. Thanks. Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities. Wanted to share a, uh, an interview that we're doing today with um, Killian Moot with Humanity United. Um, the subject is about uh, human trafficking and I've seen a lot of um, posts recently talking about the, uh, the issue talked to a lot of people about the issue and wanted to kind of get uh, some feedback from somebody who's actually doing the work in terms of addressing human trafficking and um, just kind of share what um, what his experiences are. So Killian, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, to chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about uh, Humanity United. What What do you do? Great. Yeah, so we're a, a private foundation uh, started by uh, Pam Omidyar and her husband, Pierre. Um, Pierre was the founder of eBay, um, and, and the Omidyar started uh, Humanity United about uh, over 10 years ago um, to really focus on some of the most intractable social problems uh, experienced in the world today, one of which um, was is modern slavery, human trafficking, and, and forced labor. Um so we've, we've got a decade of experience as a private foundation uh, attempting to address um, this global phenomenon uh, where we see, unfortunately, in the world today, people bought and sold um, as, as, um, as products. Hmm. Is this more of a, um, like a, uh, a problem overseas, or is this uh, something you see in the United States? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people equate this issue, um, whether it be forced labor uh, or sex trafficking, to uh, an over-there problem. And uh, where, while it is uh, more prevalent in, uh, particularly in, in the developing world, uh, where cost of living is is quite low um, and rates of poverty and illiteracy are quite high, and you see large percentage of population marginalized either socially, politically, or economically. Um, it does continue to happen inside the United States. Um, in, in the U.S., um, you know, we're the most common forms that we see are uh, individual workers um, in agriculture uh, or uh, low-skilled labor uh, who might be uh, migrants uh, or uh, individuals who are um, vulnerable due to their legal status as um, uh, illegal immigrants. Um, they are incredibly susceptible or at risk to the issue of trafficking. Uh, as well as those that uh, migrate here legally 
uh, through different uh, visa processes for our foreign workers. Um, there's a significant amount of exploitation that we see in that recruitment process. Um, and then on the other hand, the other form that we see uh, here in the U.S. is uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and that frequently is um, vulnerable uh, women or children uh, who find themselves in a situation of sexual exploitation where their bodies are being bought and sold um, for the purpose of exploitation. Um, um, runaway youth and transgender youth um, are at higher risk of rates of trafficking um, in the U.S. domestically. And then in terms of international tracking, in terms of how big of a scope we're talking about it, it's a pretty uh, significantly large global phenomenon uh, where estimates are um, ranges as high as about 25 million, uh, according to the latest ILO, International Labor Organization statistics. Um, and then some, some estimates put it as high as, as uh, 40 million in, in not just forms of forced labor, but uh, child marriage and other. So the thing about human trafficking or, or modern day slavery as it's commonly uh, referred to is that it can take on a multitude of different forms. Um, and any business in the world today, whether it operates a hotel in the US or uh, produces electronics in Malaysia, has some exposure to the issue. Uh, and the question is really, um, how do you effectively address it and what steps can you take to mitigate the risk? Yeah, that was really my next question uh, was, how is business involved in the, the process of human trafficking? So, So then how do you, how do you look at businesses to try to figure out who are good actors or who are bad actors? Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities. Wanted to share a uh, an interview that we're doing today with um, Killian Moot with Humanity United. Um, the subject is about uh, human trafficking, and I've seen a lot of um, posts recently talking about the uh, the issue talked to a lot of people about the issue and wanted to kind of get uh, some feedback from somebody who's actually doing the work in terms of addressing human trafficking and um, just kind of share what um, what his experiences are. So Killian, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, to chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about uh, Humanity United. What What do you do? Great. Yeah, so we're a, a private foundation uh, started by uh, Pam Omidyar and her husband, Pierre. Um, Pierre was the founder of eBay, um, and, and the Omidyar started uh, Humanity United about uh, over 10 years ago um, to really focus on some of the most intractable social problems uh, experienced in the world today, one of which um, was is modern slavery, human trafficking, and, and forced labor. Um so we've we've got a decade of experience as a private foundation uh, attempting to address um, this global phenomenon uh, where we see, unfortunately, in the world today, people bought and sold um, as as um, as products. Hmm. Is this more of a um, like a uh, a problem overseas, or is this a 
something you see in the United States? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people equate this issue, um, whether it be forced labor uh, or sex trafficking, to uh, an over-there problem. And uh, where, while it is uh, more prevalent, in, uh, particularly in, in the developing world, uh, where cost of living is, is quite low, um, and rates of poverty and illiteracy are quite high, and you see large percentage of population marginalized, either socially, politically, or economically, um, it does continue to happen inside the United States. Um, in, in the U.S., um, you know, we're, the most common forms that we see are uh, individual workers um, in agriculture uh, or uh, low-skilled labor uh, who might be uh, migrants uh, or uh, individuals who are um, vulnerable due to their legal status as um, uh, illegal immigrants. Um, they are incredibly susceptible or at risk to the issue of trafficking. Uh, as well as those that uh, migrate here legally uh, through different uh, visa processes but are foreign workers. Um, there's a significant amount of exploitation that we see in that recruitment process. Um, and then on the other hand, the other form that we see uh, here in the U.S. is uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and that frequently is um, vulnerable uh, women or children uh, who find themselves in a situation of sexual exploitation where their bodies are being bought and sold um, for the purpose of exploitation. Um, um, runaway youth and transgender youth um, are at higher risk of rates of trafficking um, in the U.S. domestically. And then in terms of international tracking, in terms of how big of a scope we're talking about it, it's a pretty uh, significantly large global phenomenon uh, where estimates are um, range as, as high as about 25 million, uh, according to the latest ILO, International Labor Organization statistics. Um, and then some, some estimates put it as high as as uh, 40 million in, in not just forms of forced labor, but uh, child marriage and other. So the thing about human trafficking or, or modern day slavery as it's commonly uh, referred is, is that it can take on a multitude of different forms. Um, and any business in the world today, whether it operates a hotel in the US or uh, produces electronics in Malaysia has some exposure to the issue. Uh, and the question is really, um, how do you effectively address it? And what steps can you take to mitigate the risk? Yeah, that was really my next question, uh, was how is business involved in the, the process of human trafficking? So, so then how do, you, how do you look at businesses to try to figure out who are good actors or who are bad actors? 